You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 151 and 152 of reading through the Bible in a year. Again, you are listening to the oral tradition. We were just talking about it, and I'm having a good time, so we're going to keep doing it. I mean, we're 152 days into something. you got to keep going now. Yeah. I can't do the math fast enough to figure out how many 76 more... 76 episodes. Okay. Well, that's, where, that's where we're at. 76 episodes. That's 76 times 2 is whatever. We're not a math show. We're a Bible show. So let's get into it. Where are we? All right. Our Old Testament readings for today is 1 Samuel... 29 through 30 and 2 Samuel chapter 1 through chapter 2 verse 7. All right, so the battle, now we come back to the battle yes. that led Saul to the witch at Endor. Yes. Which ended horribly for him. And uh, so now we're kind of, the Bible's flashing back to the reality of the Philistines now making their move since Samuel is dead. Saul uh, cannot hear from the Lord through the, the means by which God speaks to his people, which will later in, this, in these chapters, we'll see how David does it. And receives a demonic destiny for him and his boys. Oh man, demonic destiny. That is hardcore. But you're right. And so the Philistines are going into battle against them. And remember, Achish, the king, of this area of the Philistines wanted David to be his bodyguard, mm-hmm. but then all the commanders kind of sensed. They're like, "Hey, man, we think this guy will turn on us in war." Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it. The reason is because they're soldiers, and you know, it's like soldiers kind of have a bond. They're brothers out there, mm-hmm. and they whether I don't know if they know what David's been doing going yeah. out on raids. I don't think they know, but they just have a sense. Like in the heat of battle. It's going to get real confusing when he sees his brothers and sisters mm-hmm. and he's with us. So yeah. I don't care how much he, uh, you love him, Akish. We don't want him out there. Send him home. And then Akish, the king, is like, oh, uh, this is so hard, but he does it anyway. Yes. So he sends David home. David protests an appropriate amount, I would yeah. say. Yeah, he's like, come on, what'd I do? You didn't do anything. It's the commander's. And then probably leaves with a sigh of relief. <laughs> yeah, total relief. And what we find out is that God is totally orchestrating all these events above David. Yes. So he goes back to his... Uh, uh, Ziklag. Ziklag, where he has been given land mm-hmm. for his 600... He has a little village there. And he goes back to find out it's the same chain of events, right? So the Philistines realize Israel is totally weak without yes. their prophet. And then the Amalekites, these marauding raiders on the fringes, go, oh, did you see all the Philistines leave? All their fighting men went out to this war, so now's a perfect time to go go raid the uh, fringes of their territory. And one of those fringes is Ziklag. A huge mistake. It's like what Nabal did. They go back to find, uh, so David goes back to camp to find the place totally burned and all the people taken. So they didn't kill anybody. They just wanted women and children, essentially. To sell as slaves and stuff like that back to Egypt. Which makes sense because, as well, here's what happens then. David goes there, and there's 200 guys that were too... Uh, wait, are there... No, 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 not yet. Well, Sorry, so they, not so yet. they go there, and they're like totally like messed up. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. And That's right. They weep until they can't weep anymore. Like right. they... 
cried themselves into exhaustion. And then there's this awesome line where it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And so he has Abiathar, the remaining priest, yep. uh, bring out the ephod, and David, unlike Saul, inquires the Lord and asks the Lord what's going on, and the Lord responds well, to David. Well, here's a step I realized. What does it mean to strengthen yourself in the Lord? And I believe it means David took all of his feelings, all of his grief, he turned to the Lord and just told the Lord what he thought. You know, mm-hmm. like he is probably upset, he's probably betrayed, yeah. he feels all these things, but he took it to the Lord, and guess what the Lord did? He said, here's the places where I can talk to you. Yes. Through the priest, through the ephod, through prayer. Yes. So David then, I think, you find your strength in the Lord, he leads you to the places where you find God, yes. not mediums or not the places you want, mm-hmm. but the word of God, the sacraments of God, the people of God, and then the Lord speaks to him through those things because that's where the Lord will speak to you. Yeah. So he asks the Lord, should I pursue them? And the Lord says, pursue for you shall overtake them and rescue everyone. That's so, and that's amazing this, in this era because the, the reality of people not dying mm-hmm. is slim. Yes. And so God promises this, and that's when... Um, so then they take off, 600 of him take off. Are they about ready to stone him here too, or is that later? Uh, There's a moment where... Um, oh, the, maybe there was Because remember, David has 600 men who are all bittered in soul and already kind of marginalized under Saul when he first started. Well, that was, yeah, in the beginning. David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Right. Because they're so like, we lost everything. Which is a throwback to Moses. And which is a throwback to the leaders of um, God's leaders. And you have to not worry about, I mean, you worry about the people, but you have to go, I need to find my strength in the Lord right now. Mm-hmm. So they, they just run after these guys. Like, but 200 stay behind. Well, so they run and they go and they eventually wear out 200 of them. Right. And so 200 of them finally just stay back. Like they, they handle like all the baggage, all the stuff that's like, unnecessary for these people for the rest of the guys to pursue yeah so they finally find an egyptian in like the open country and they this egyptian was left behind from the amalekites because he was too sickly to keep up the pace of running away from them well he's an he's an egyptian that the amalekites turned into a slave the very so they needed like new slaves or something and so he's ready to turn on the Amalekites. Oh yeah, with just some food. They don't. And I love how David doesn't make a vow to him or anything. Yeah. The only thing he agrees to is he feeds them, and the Amalekites says, "I'll show you where they are." Or the Egyptian says, "I'll show you where the Amalekites are, but do not kill me, and please do not turn me over." Yeah. But I feel like he's ready to go. I'm with you guys. Yeah. And so the Egyptian leads them to where they were going and where their camp would be, and David. Uh, strikes them at, in the middle of the night from twilight till evening and oh until the evening of the next day so yeah. David just runs in in the middle of the night and then attacks them throughout the night throughout the day and through the next evening and they were partying so they weren't mm-hmm. huddled they were all spread out because they were like dude yeah. we're totally in a land right now where all the fighting men are gone mm-hmm. and so they're feeling very relaxed about it David then Gets everything back. Gets everything back and all their and sheep all their and stuff. all their stuff. Yeah. But there's, uh, was it 600 men got away of the Amalekites? Mm-hmm. So he doesn't totally destroy all the Amalekites, but 600 got away, which shows you how big 
the if he he was are. killing all day and night, and there was still like David only had six hundred, and at this point four hundred, and so his <clears> four hundred <throat> was just taking on all these parting in the Malachites. Yes, they get everything. They get everything. And they go back to the 200 men that are exhausted. And so when they get back there, the 400 are like, well, some of the guys are like, these 200 guys shouldn't get anything that we got. Right. And David's like, uh, no. But see, I think it's false um, humility. Like, they're, I think they're saying, David, this is yours. Mm-hmm. You give it to who you want. And then, because um, the king would, they're making David, he's already their king. Yeah. And David's going to share it, but then they're kind of going, but don't share it with the guys who didn't come. Yeah. And this is, I think, shows the heart of David. Like, he's going to be, he's God's anointed. Because he makes a vow yes. to say, man, if you, it's like the guys who don't play in the game. Like, there's a lot of guys in, in sports who never play. Right. But they're on the team, and they get rings. Everybody wins. Yes. When you're part of the people of God, if you sat and watched the baggage, if you got the water, if you didn't go into the battle, you still get the spoils of your king, which is beautiful for us because uh, if you don't feel like you're a great person in the kingdom of God or you fought a lot of battles or you've had a pretty mundane, normal life, you get all the spoils of Christ. Right, and I love it because David actually acknowledges that all this stuff is from God. Well, that, yeah, God gives the victory. He says, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. The Lord preserved us and gave us all this stuff. So... Why should we withhold any of the things that the Lord has given us from others? Which sets up the whole trajectory for all of us, which is everything you have is a gift. So that's why we share. That's why we give money. We tithe. We're generous. It's a part of the life under our king. Yes. And then he takes a part of the stuff that he got from the Amalekites and sends it to the elders of Judah, saying, here's a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. And... And again, so he's just like blessing Judah, he's blessing his family, he's blessing the tribes, and he's not withholding or amassing wealth for himself. And this is really David's first big test as a leader, Mm -hmm. and he passes it with flying colors. I mean, he's at the point of being rejected and stoned because they've they've sustained a great loss. Yes. But he passes it. Why? Because he goes to the Lord. He strengthens himself in the Lord. Right. So meanwhile, the Philistines are destroying Saul and Israel. Yes. Like, it's all chaotic. Everybody's fleeing to the point where it just says Jonathan dies. I know. Chapter 31, like, makes my, like, upsets me. It's, like, very upsetting because, like, Jonathan and uh, two of Saul's other sons die just in battle. It's just, like, a little footnote. And they die. And I'm like, oh, And those guys were full of, I mean... At full least of the Jonathan. Lord, full of faith. Yeah, Jonathan needlessly dies because... Saul he, gets badly wounded, and at this point, he's just hopeless, and he's asking his armor bearer to kill him. Yeah, so... Because he's like, I don't want to die at the hand of pagans. So. This is a historic... It doesn't matter what culture you're part of, but yeah. when your leader, your king, is to the point of such despair that he's trying to figure out a way to to die. Yeah. He, he has no trust in the Lord, no trust in the men around him. He even asks, and I think it's kind of perfect, like at the end of his life, he's rejected the Lord and now he's asking his armor bearer to kill him. Please kill me. And the armor bearer's like, I, I can't. Yeah. No way am I going to do that. Are so, you kidding me? Yeah. So then, the, so then Saul falls upon his sword. And so when the armor bearer sees that, 
So the armor bearer's job is to protect the king. The right. king's now dead. So if he's found alive and the king's dead, he's going to get executed. So, right. that, so the armor bearer's just like, the only thing I can do now is to kill myself. So Saul kills his armor bearer, essentially. Yeah. And then, I was just thinking, like, Jonathan's armor bearer, David's armor bearer, those guys would do whatever. They trusted yeah. Saul, or David and Jonathan. But, not, but his, of course, disobeys Saul's request because Saul is so far gone. Yeah. And, um, and then later I'll jump because, well, well, yeah, we'll wait. So the, the men of Israel on the other side of the valley see the, Saul and everyone go down and they're like, okay, it's over. And they flee. And they flee, they flee to the other side of the Jordan. They get out of the promised land. They go away from the promised land into uh, like Gilead in that area. Allowing then the Philistines to take over all the allotment, yes. all of the cities, yes. everything that was there. Like the thing that God brought and hired Saul to do yes. to finish cleaning out the land. Mm-hmm. Now the exact opposite is happening in God's promised land. Can you imagine? Like this is where we're at. It's so sad. The last chapter in, in 1 Samuel is similar like to the end of Judges. Yes. It is like despair. Like, and this big experiment has not worked with a king. And then um, the Philistines find Saul, his three sons. They cut off Saul's head, strip his armor, and then they take the bodies of Saul and his sons and mount them on the walls of the temple of Ashtoreth. Right. Yeah. Now, part of that is, well, remember, the law of God is it, it, you can have a body up there until evening, mm-hmm. and that's enough. But I think... Well, what I know is in those cultures, they would keep that up as a sign of victory to encourage everybody, just like Goliath's head. And our God has defeated their God. Our God has defeated their God. They're pinned up on a wall. And and I think there's spiritual ramifications too. Like these guys will be a buffer between the spiritual and the physical for us. Like Mm -hmm. all infection can go on them and all sickness and sadness. It's really uh, disgusting. The... The one little redeeming note, this is the whole, I think, redemption of Saul's line, or of Saul's reign, I would say. The one good thing he did, which was redeem and rescue Jabesh Gilead, the town that was destroyed for the sake of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, he Mm -hmm. saved. And Jabesh Gilead finds out that Saul's body and and his son's bodies are in this temple. So they cross the Jordan invade that city, get into the temple, take the bodies of Saul and the sons down and take them back to Jabesh Gilead and give them a, like a proper burial. I tell you what, Jabesh Gilead, for not being involved in that event with way back when with the Levite yeah. and the concubine, they're now involved. Yeah. And they care because... They're Saul's, now part of the nation. And, and here's why that's good. Because... Saul did that. He was anointed, and that was his first and only victory was for them. Yeah. And so that was a God thing. So they're right to respond to. He was our anointed leader, and God used him to save us, even if he lost everything else and led us into disarray uh, and and unfaithfulness. We thank God for Saul saving us. So we're going to respect his body and do Mm -hmm. what no one else can do. But they're also on the east side of the Jordan, right? Yeah, so So, they cross. So they cross over when everybody else is leaving Mm -hmm. to do a noble thing. They end up burning the bodies because um, the head's cut off and all the the three bodies are so mutilated. And And they were hanging in a a temple. Yeah, they're carrying a lot of curse. Yeah, so they they burn them and bury them under a tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted for seven days. And so Saul does end up carrying 
mm-hmm. the anointing of God still is on his bones like they should be. Yes. Well, that ends. And that's pretty much how... Is that how... Well, okay. So originally, First and Second Samuel were one long right. document. So these were broken up later. For us. For us. So the story continues immediately, like just un- uninterrupted. It continues in chapter one of Second Samuel. And David returns to Ziklag after defeating the Amalekites. And uh, who comes to see him? But a uh, an Amalekite. Yeah. And so David's feeling good, like the Lord's with us. Yeah. Meanwhile, the rest of Israel is fleeing. Yes. The Lord is not with us. And uh, an Amalekite who's battered and bruised comes stumbling into the camp of David. But he has some things. But he has some stuff. And he says, and David's like, immediately, like, where do you come from? What are you doing here? Like, who are you? And he says, uh... I was on the battlefield with the Israelites against the Philistines, and I saw Saul fall, and uh, I went up to him, and he asked me who I was, and he said, stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And so apparently after Saul's attempted suicide, he so either the Amalekite's lying about this event or right. after his attempt of suicide, he actually failed at the attempt. And so he's now lying on the ground with the sword through him and this Amalekite comes up and asks, and Saul asks him to finish him off. And the Amalekite's like, okay. I think, um, yeah, so it could be a made-up story because this guy looted... Yeah, the so dead he, king. Or I do kind of think that Saul had no victory in him. He couldn't even kill himself. Yeah. So because the, of the armor and all yeah, this stuff, who the knows? The Malachite takes the crown um, and the armlet on from Saul, like the royal signets, the royal identification cards, right? And takes them to David. Think, and, thinking, I'm going to be set under this next king. Yeah, like we know David would be the next in line, so. Let's, I'm going to go make amends with David. And so he runs in, not knowing that David had just killed a bunch of Amalekites. <laughs> and runs in and is like, oh, look at all this stuff. I did this stuff for the sake of you. And David then tears his clothes, mourns, weeps, fasts until evening for Saul and Jonathan. And uh, he writes a beautiful lamentation. Lamentation for them. And then he's like... Uh, David then takes the Amalekite aside and says, uh, how is it that you were not afraid to put your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Right. Good question. Uh, and then David called one of his young men and says, yeah, kill this guy. He killed the Lord's anointed. Yep. We are not starting this new kingdom off with the victory of an Amalekite over the king of Israel. No. And I'm going to do what Saul couldn't do, which was he sh- all the Amalekites should have been finished off. Yes. And so um, I did want to go back, though, to the lamentation and how beautiful David, he writes so real. It's so honest. Yes. I mean, and he's cursing the enemies of the Lord because he recognizes Saul was not a perfect person and was chasing him for, we, you do the math, he was chasing David 
for 12 years. Yeah. So that's not counting the time that David was living there and with them. It's counting the time when he ran away after Jonathan said, yeah. go away, to this point has been 12 years. So sometimes we feel like our careers aren't taking off. Yeah. And where's the Lord? Well, just remember, David spent 12 years running for his life, knowing that he was destined and anointed to be the next king. Yeah. But um, so that's why I think at the end of it, David's going, no, we're not. Yeah, we're not giving a victory to the Am- Amalekites here. And what you did was wrong. We don't mess with um, God's anointed leaders. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he mourns Saul and Jonathan appropriately. Yeah. And it pleases the people. Everyone is pleased by this because, again, he's not made himself an enemy to Israel in any way. He's only been for them. He's only been for their king. He's only been for the nation. He's only been for the Lord. And the people recognize this. The men around him recognize this. And, and they go, this is a man we want to lead us. So in chapter 2, David now again goes to the Lord and says, Lord, should I go up to Judah now? Is it time for me yeah. to return to the land? And the Lord says, go up. Which I love that David, even his victory, he's not getting arrogant. Like, all right, I'm good at this. Yeah. Finally, I get my chance. I've been waiting 12 years. I'm so much mm-hmm. better than the other guy. Instead, it's like, Lord, what do I do? Yes. And go. Then, and then he, and then the Lord even says, go to Hebron. Uh, and so he goes up there. And when he goes up there, the men of Judah come. And they anoint David king over the house of Judah. So at this point, he's, David is now officially the king over one tribe, Judah. The most powerful tribe. Yes. And then um, when David finds out that Jabesh-Gilead fought for Saul and got Saul, Saul's body back and the bodies of Jonathan and the sons, mm-hmm. uh, he then sends messengers to Jabesh-Gilead and says, May you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you because you have done this thing. And he says, Now therefore let your hands be strong, be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me as king over them. I'm thinking back to, um, you know, one of the reasons Saul tried to kill himself was because he knew that he would be humiliated, he'd be mocked, and then killed. Yes. And it made me, it was reminiscent to our king, Jesus, who willingly walked into humiliation and death. Mm -hmm. Saul was deathly afraid of that to the point where he'd rather kill himself. And then you see David's heart where he navigates this thing perfectly. And I would say not because he's some amazing leader. He is. He has leadership qualities that are great, probably off the charts. But his real victory in leading anybody or anything is asking the Lord, and the Lord is always about unity. It's always mm-hmm. about God's people. And David forgives even, I mean, like Jesus is able to, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so you have uh, David starting off his reign, and I'm going to lament, and I'm going to forgive Saul and recognize. I think that's good for us. Like, even the people who have been chasing us and are after us, ultimately we don't we don't want to be the judge we don't want to be sending people to hell we want to be um we are called to be people of blessing yes and so we even bless and mourn for our enemies when they're finally overwhelmed by the evil and so um you just see david now in a perfect position to be the true king of israel yes boom that's good all right oh now let's go to our New Testament reading for today.
which will be in John chapter 19, verse 28 through chapter 20. So, Jesus, we ended with Jesus on the cross, and while he's suffering on the cross, he's still taking time to care for the little things, which is the relationship of his mom and his friend. Man, and while Saul is trying to avoid death and humiliation, he's leading his armor bearer into death. Yes. Yes. Now you have Jesus taking care of the little things. And and leading his people into life. Yeah, leading his people into being a son to his mother. I mean, he cares. And we did that the other day. But I just, it's one of my favorite scenes because the king of the world can hold everything together and still care about all the little relational things in your life. So, so yeah. Now we have uh, Jesus knowing that it was all, the time had come, and he finally says, I thirst, which I think is an important moment because he says to his disciples while they're doing the Passover, he says, I will not drink from this cup until it's all finished. Right. Until my time has come, and his time has come. It is finished. The new age is about to begin, and so he drinks a little soured wine. He's going to drink the judgment of God, yeah. the wrath, the full wrath of God. And then he receives the sour wine and says, it is finished, and he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Yeah, he gives. He's has the authority. He's defeating sin and yeah. all of its ramifications, which everything. And uh, again, this is an important moment because the, our Savior gave everything up and it was not taken from him with force, but it was willingly, everything, even his life, was willingly given up for us. Surrendered. And, and then you get the um, kind of the details about the soldiers and what they did, and they end up not breaking any... So usually they break the bones... Yes. To uh, expedite the death of crucifixion. Yes. So now you can't push yourself up on the cross, draw a good breath. So essentially people, they would drown them on the fluid in their lungs. Yeah, and they would suffocate. And suffocate. Well, uh, with Jesus, they pierced him. Yeah, they they come to him and they realize he's already dead. And so just to make sure, they drive a spear uh, up into his side and uh, blood and water pour out of his body. Which is, um, there's a couple of things. Some of the ancient fathers see this as a, a, a type of communion. Yeah, it's but, like bo- the presence of both sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Yeah, and, and then, and the reason that the connection to the Lord's Supper is because the significance of no bones being broken is the exact description in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy about how you handle the Passover. Yeah. And you- so the new Passover is Christ's body, because his bones weren't broken. You don't break the bones of the Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. And behold, the Lamb of God who comes to save the world yeah. by forgiving sins. And so Jesus becomes the Lamb, the mm-hmm. last Lamb we need to sacrifice. Yeah. And we follow all the, the rules. Like That's why it's so important that it follows the Scriptures here. And that's why John sees the significance. Like, oh, he really was the Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. He's our Passover meal. Yes. And... Uh, then we get Joseph of Arimathea, who was a wealthy member of the Sanhedrin. Yes. And he was secretly loved Jesus and was a follower, and so he is able to approach Pilate. And so he's not a known follower of Jesus, so right. this is why he's able to go up to Pilate and say, 
can I bury Jesus? And I think it's also under the pretenses of, well, Sabbath's about to, the high Sabbath is about to happen. We can't have any bodies hanging from any trees, according to our laws. So we need to bury him quickly. And so Pilate allows this, and even um, uh, Nicodemus. Nicodemus shows back up. Well, this, this is what's so great, is that you have essentially lawyers at the highest level in Israel. Yes. Um, not only is he saying Jesus is truly dead. Yes. But he's saying, uh, he is saying, like, in a court of law, basically, look, Jesus is dead. I want to fulfill our law. Mm-hmm. And the powers that be are like, cool. He's really dead, no doubt. Yeah. Take care of him. Do whatever you have to do. He's not a threat to us. You guys are happy. I'm happy. Mm-hmm. And then Nicodemus, who, remember, visited Jesus in the middle of the night, doesn't understand these things, also a secret follower. They now are able to come out kind of in the open. And, and I, I think it's important to have powerful... It's like a high-level politician or somebody saying, I believe in Jesus, and I'm going to be a part of this now. Yes. And it's really cool. I, I always forget this, but Nicodemus also brings like 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes yeah. to anoint the body of our Lord for burial, which I think is really awesome because a, it's a huge gift, and it'd be something that you're probably storing up for your own burial or someone in your family, but he gives it to Jesus. And it's awesome. And it's Jesus' final act of humiliation mm-hmm. to be buried, mm-hmm. to be put in a place where you're going to rot and be forgotten. Yes. And so, so they put him in a, in a tomb in a garden, which is kind of a beautiful going back to the Garden of Eden. Jesus, our Savior, is buried in a garden. Yes, absolutely. Then the resurrection comes. So then we read the resurrection story. Yep. And once again, you have Mary, you have the women who loved Jesus, mm-hmm. they're there. Yes. And uh, I think in a funny, you see the personalities of the gospel writers. So it's like, let's say, um, let's say you're John yeah. and I'm Peter. Yeah. And usually, you know, I'm, I have a, a cardio soccer body. So yeah. I run, I'm just the all-star. I'm the mm-hmm. guy who gets to speak and you're quietly there, kind of like in real life, okay? Yeah. But <laughs> you're writing this and you, you write in here, um, yeah, so Adam and I ran, and uh, I got there before Adam. Yeah, I outran Adam. Just because, you know, I was so motivated by love, I beat the real athlete in our group. Yeah, It would I be like it. what I, we have a friend at church named Barry, and he's a superior athlete to me. Yeah. So I would definitely note, if I beat him to the tomb of Jesus, I'd be like, I got there before Barry. Yeah. Just wanted to let you guys know that. <laughs> and um, so Peter gets... Uh, so the foot race. He gets so there, yeah. So. so John gets there first, but he stops because Mary gets there. The temple, the the tomb is empty. She runs, tells whatever apostles she can find. Peter and John race out there. John gets there first, stops at the threshold of the tomb because again, it's a it's a holiday. It's a holy day. They're not supposed to become unclean or come in contact with any unclean things. So to oh, go yeah. into a tomb would make you unclean. So John stops, but then Peter comes up from behind and just barrels in there and is like, I don't care. I need to see this. Right. And so um, he runs in, collapses at the uh, inside the tomb and starts looking at the grave clothes and inspecting them. And they're all neatly folded at the side. And again, this is like to 
say grave robbers didn't do this because they would have taken everything. They right. wouldn't have unwrapped the body and piled everything in nice little neat folded stacks. Right. And so then John finally seeing Peter go in is like, okay, I should probably just go in and look at it too. And so they walk in and they look around and they're just dumbfounded. They don't know what to make of it. And they leave not sure what to believe or what to understand. And then Mary is now outside the tomb. She's weeping. She doesn't understand what's going on. She wanted to anoint the Savior. He's gone. They don't know what's going on. And then she looks around, and there's two angels in white sitting where Jesus had lain. And they say, Woman, why are you weeping? And she's like, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And they say, And, oh, it just jumps to having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. <laughs> so Jesus apparently in his resurrected body looks completely different in his now new divine nature. And uh, he asks her, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? And she's like, she thinks he's the gardener, which makes me think he might have been gardening. Yeah. His first his first act of resurrection is now he's working in the garden. Well, in his divinity now, he's showing that through. He's doing what Adam and Eve were commissioned to do. I know, which is, I love it. Work the earth, be fruitful and multiply. And uh, she's like, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And then he finally said, just says her name. He says, Mary. Rabbi, teacher, yeah. oh! And as soon as he drops her name, she knows who he is. Yeah. And, uh, and this, she clings to him and is weeping and crying. But I'm, I'm understanding now why this makes so much sense. She clings to him and Jesus says, you can't cling to me. Yeah. What? That seems so counterintuitive. Yeah. Like, why can't I cling to you? I'm in my grief to see someone back. Yes. But he's, he just straight up tells her the reality, which is, you can't cling to me because I need to ascend to my Father. Yes. And then I'll be able to be with you through the Holy Spirit. If you cling to me here now, uh, uh, you can't. Yeah. I got to go. I got to go. To save the whole world, to bring the mountain of God, the mm -hmm. glory, the Holy of Holies, I'm going into so that the Holy of Holies can now come into you. Yes. And so he then tells Mary to go and tell the disciples. And so she runs around, says, I've seen the Lord. And she tells them everything he told her. And now, I think the disciples are still like unsure of what's going on and what, what can happen. And so they are now in a room that they're, the doors are locked because they're afraid that the Jews are going to hunt them down and kill them next. And Jesus all of a sudden is among them. Right, because now in his divinity, he can walk through walls, he can show up, yeah. he can, he can uh, do... He's totally free. Yeah, and so he appears in the room and starts off with, peace be with you. I know, that's the message of the resurrected Christ. I mean, we're announcing peace between you and God. Peace. That's what we all need, is that ability to rest because everything's at, in under control of a God who loves you. And uh, he shows them his hands and his side, which are still pierced and unhealed. And... Uh, is like trying to show them, like, I really am the one who was crucified. I look different, but I am your savior. But my wounds are still here. My wounds are still here. I will bear these wounds. And then he does something amazing, which is very informative for us. He, um, he says, I'm sending you. Just as yes. I was sent from the Father, I'm sending you to tell everyone. Yes. 
so that I might save more. And then he equips them. He breathes on them. I love that. He then, breathes on them and re- he says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And that is the, a creative act of the creative God. When he breathes, he speaks. Yes. The, the Spirit of God is the breath of God saying, let there be light. Let there be faith. Let there be eternal life. He can say, uh, pick up your mat and walk. Yeah. He breathes and gives them then the power of the Spirit, which is a big ancient kind of division in in the church universal about like the Holy Spirit comes from the Father and the Western church has always said proceeds from the Father and the Son Mm -hmm. and there's been a split because they say no it only comes from the Father well this is where Jesus kind of says we see Jesus saying I have the power to send the Holy Spirit to you it proceeds from the Son as well and then you got Thomas who I think of Thomas shows up, and the way you got to think of, we call him Doubting Thomas, but really I would just call him Nerdy Thomas. He's Pragmatic just, Thomas. He's just a nerd, man. He's a numbers guy. And uh, like all the numbers guys and all the nerds in your life, yeah. they, they believe they're just not going to be so emotionally swayed right away. So Thomas, in his beautiful personality as being the nerd, says, look, I totally believe. I'm with you guys, but I, don't, I can't believe that he's walking around. I have to be honest here. And if you run the numbers, that's something we've never seen. Yeah. And so he says the classic, unless I see his hands and the marks of his nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Right. I'm sorry, guys. I just can't, I can't go there with you. And then what does Jesus do for the nerds? He shows up, he shows where, up. They're, where they're needed. And he says, uh, peace. I get it. I understand your brain. Uh, why don't you put your finger here, Thomas? And place your hand on my side. He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas just goes, my Lord, my God. He doesn't need to, he realizes the ridiculousness of his earlier statement and just immediately confesses Jesus as God. He says, my Lord, my God. I love it. And then Jesus says, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are all those who have not seen and yet believed. That's you and me. So how much more blessed are we for not seeing, again, he doesn't condemn Peter at all. I mean, uh, Thomas. Thomas. He doesn't yeah. say, bad Thomas. He's no. like, I get it, man. I I'll meet it. you where you're at in your grief, in your disbelief. I will give you the belief. And blessed are all you who believe. Yeah. That would be us. Man, I love it. Today I'm going to read Psalm 68, verses 28 through 35. Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herd of bulls with the calves of the peoples. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God, sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. just been fed by ravens 
Lord bless his word. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.